and he's ordered your steps to this house today, and he prepared my heart days in advance to begin to take a text of Scripture that I have preached from two other times uh, in my many years of preaching the gospel now, both here at First Assembly Heber Springs. One, back in around 2008 when we were remodeling this church, this facility, we were having service back in what's the kids' church now. And then in 2013, I used this text again, and it, I believe it possibly was on Mother's Day, but I, I forgot about that, and my daughter reminded me of it because uh, Ashley's preaching today at their church down in El Dorado, and that's very exciting for us, and I was sending her my notes uh, from my sermon because I was stirred up. I didn't know she was preaching. I wanted to send those to her to just kind of look them over, and, and so that was a stimulus for heart. She's not going to use it in her message today, but it helped feed her spirit, and she reminded me, and, and so she sent me back a picture of the notes from the 2013 message that she still had, and so, so I know I've, I've, I've been in this doctrine and this uh, subject matter before, but, but the Lord's tweaked it some in my personal study, and the one thing I want to say, before we stand for the reading of Scripture, let me tell you, we're going to do some things first that what we call is a little bit doctrinally, because this is my opportunity to speak doctrinally, but then I'm going to connect to an account in Scripture, a story in Scripture. Let me tell you what these are. These are not just stories. These are not fables. The Word of God says we have not followed cunningly devised fables. The Word of God is living. It's the breath of God. The scripture says it is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. So the life that is in God, the life that God possessed, he's bound to his word. And so when you recognize that there is a life in his word and you grab hold of something or a principle or a truth or an account or a record in scripture and that becomes living to you and you make association with it, then the life that's in that text is the life of God. And then that life can be replicated in your own life and help you to, to, to overcome situations that you may be facing. So let me tell you, there's power in the Word of God today, power for living. So open your heart. We're going to read a few verses of Scripture. And as you do so, if th these are some of the texts that we're going to read that address roles in, in, in Scripture and, and, and families, and, and, but I've got a method to this madness, so y'all stay with me. Stand up, turn to Titus chapter number 2 today. Titus chapter number 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Now, the one thing I've noticed about the service thus far, just very quickly, is number one, our worship team did a tremendous job, as always. Amen? Number two... We do appreciate all of our security team members who are going out of their way to give us a safe environment. Number three, our nursery workers. Thank God, and our children's church workers for them. We appreciate them very much. But you've been kind of quiet today. You have. And the worship team said amen. And so let me just tell you, the quieter you are, the longer I preach. That's all I'm going to say. Right? Thank you right there. That's all I'm going to say. Verse number one says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So this is an exhortation to those that are in ministry, sound doctrine, sound teaching. That the aged men be sober, be grave, be temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. The aged women. Now, I don't know who you are, and I don't know how you define yourself. Come on, i got to be very careful with this real quickly. The aged women... Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not, how many know this is good doctrine? Amen. 
Just, you got to catch how this is good doctrine. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he's saying, not false accusers, not given to much wine. We got real quiet in here. Teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. I knew I was going to hear it was going to go real quiet in here right there. We'll, we're not really getting into the heart of all that, but there's, 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 there's structure and substance there. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Look at that. That the word of God. So this text is not just written to, to uh, wives or women uh, in general. It's written to all of us, and it's distinct according to both our age and our gender, correct? Now let's turn to 1 Peter chapter number 3. This is the Apostle Peter who is speaking to us today. Verse number 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Certainly the Apostle Peter is writing with the encouragement that if there's a lady in the church whose husband does not necessarily believe, then it will be more by your, the word conversation means your lifestyle. It, so it will be more your lifestyle than your doctrinal instruction, correct? That can be the tool that God can use to be a, a point of conviction in his heart and life. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. It says here, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and of the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Certainly doesn't mean don't take care of yourself. Come on, but it doesn't mean don't, don't let that be the thing that determines the entirety or the essence of your being, which you have to guard yourself because in our culture today, that, that is something that is a, a major issue. But let it be what? The hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, notice this. This is what caught my, part of my attention in this passage because I'm going I'm to connect you to something in a few moments. But after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God. Look at that. In the old time. The, and so Peter's writing about the, the generation of spiritual uh, you know, ladies that the scriptural record gives us that were holy women who trusted in God. It says they adorned themselves they were in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah. Now, I know you're not going to shout me down on this. This is not the heart of my message, but it says, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I don't necessarily know if, if Julie has to say, Lord Dylan, um, do you know where we're going out to eat today? I don't know if that necessarily has to be in her vernacular. However, a principle of honoring your husband is, is, is applicable. Would y'all agree? Whose daughters ye are. Here's what he said. He, whose daughters ye are. Daughters of who? To those holy women. You're of the heritage of faith of holy women. If you do, as long as you do well and you're not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel physically and sometimes not always emotionally. And as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So being heirs together of the grace or the gift of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
Now, I'm, not going to, I'm only going to extract just a couple of parts of these two passages in conclusion here in just a few moments. But today I want to speak to you from this subject matter. The Lord dropped this in my heart. When gender determines your destiny. I want you to hear that today, and I want you to let that sink inside you. When gender determines your destiny. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm grateful to have a privileged opportunity. God, I'm thankful for the men, and especially the women, that have come out to this house today, and I have the opportunity to speak directly to them. I pray, Lord, cause all of us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand the Word of God. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen and Amen. Now, as you are seated, let me give just a little bit of just uh, information, first of all. As we celebrate Mother's Day, we will certainly celebrate our moms individually. We want to encourage you to do so. But we also recognize, and I say this very, very respectfully, that motherhood for some has been a challenging issue. Some have not been blessed with a godly mother. Some ladies that have desired to be mothers have not been able to be mothers. And we, under, we, we, we only can recognize the, the personal issues that you have gone through. I can't stand in front of you and say, I can understand. I don't even want you to think that I'm trying to make that association. What I want you to know today is I want this message to be about womanhood. This message is about ladies. It's about the distinction in the sexes. And it's to speak to you directly from the Word of God. Who would have thought that gender would become such a controversial subject? Who would have thought that I would have to take the pulpit in 29, 40 years ago, 50 years ago? Who would have ever thought that I would be taking the pulpit today in really a confined space because of the pressures that are associated with this subject of gender in our culture today? Gender neutrality has become the new fad amongst the the liberal Hollywood elite. And I'm just going to call it like I see it. And I'll tell you what it is. It is nothing more than a form of idolatry. It's all it is because Paul said, The clay cannot say to the potter, Why hast thou made me thus? And so to accommodate our distorted ideology, we in turn first adjust our biology. And and then from there, we transition to theology. Can I say that one more time? To accommodate a distorted ideology in the minds of our American culture, we first attempt to adjust our biology and then our theology. Here's the truth of the matter about me personally. Let me just go ahead and let you know who I am. I am a sexist. Because I believe gender does create distinct calling, roles, and responsibilities. Now you say, Pastor, don't you know that Paul said, In Christ Jesus there is neither male nor female. Yes, I know that. But Christ Jesus said, In the beginning God made them male and female. So let me clarify for you. In our value to God, His love for us individually, His promises to us, His indwelling Holy Spirit, our eternal life knows no gender. 
We are all one in Christ Jesus. Our gender does not determine our value. Our gender does not determine the promise of the life that is yet to come. But in the natural world in which we live, called the flesh, in the body of Christ, and in the family, our gender is a part of what defines us and dictates certain of our responsibilities to God. And I'm telling you, you have to distort the teachings of Scripture to not believe what I just said. But I want you to know that there are many that do distort the teachings of Scripture. Let me give you an example of this. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul said this, I will, therefore, that men pray. Paul creates a distinction. He said, men, I want you to pray everywhere with holy hands lifted high, without wrath and without doubting. Then he said, and also in like manner to women. He gives instruction towards certain of their, uh, uh, of, their, of their personal attributes and towards good works. So he distinguishes right there in that text between the sexes. So I want to say this again. I am a sexist today because I believe as a man, though I'm instructed to be gentle to all men. Bible tells me that to all of mankind be gentle. I, I, I want you to know I especially want to be towards women. And I know that makes me a sexist. I want to first be kind and gentle towards my wife, whom I'm instructed to love her as Christ loved the church. And isn't she beautiful today and every day? Come on, somebody. Amen. And so, and I know she's looking up here at me because I'm looking good today too. And I can feel it when she's got her eyes on me. I can feel it. I've been 33 years in this. I know. I know. And so, come on now. I'm to love her as Christ loved the church. I'm to dwell with her according to knowledge. I'm to give honor to her. I'm to recognize her as the, I know it makes me a sexist today, and that's okay. I'll honor her as the weaker vessel. What does that mean? Physically and emotionally at times. Now, I know that there's always exceptions to the rule. Sometimes there's a husband and wife, and the female is stronger than the male. But that's a very much an exception. But I want you to know, in biology across the human being, the man is typically the stronger physically. As Sherry's strongest day, she's not as strong physically as my weakest day. And Sherry said, amen. So what that means is, I can't put, she's my help meet. What does that mean? That means that she's a helper suitable for me. But that means she's not my equal. Because if I try to put the burden on her that I can carry, she can't carry that burden, both physically and emotionally at times. That's the balance that's necessary in a marriage. You want to put pressure on your wife, Sir, you put a burden on her God did not expect her to carry. you got to guard yourself. You know who we are? We are heirs together of the gift of life. I'm to be always ravished by her love, satisfied and appreciative of her beauty. That dress always looks good on her. It never makes her look any way than, other than beautiful. I'm just telling you, that's the way it works at my house. <laughs> be careful, Lee, be careful. I, you know what I do? I honor her for the whether or not, ma'am, whether or not you actually carried life inside you, you have a womb. That gave you part of your distinction. Woe, man, woe, man means womb, man. The capacity to carry life, that helps define you, it helped define my wife, and it helps define me by the gift of life that she brought into her home. 
Now next to her are my daughters. I'm instructed to love and nurture them and to affirm them and esteem them highly and to build them up in faith and love and to always be gentle towards them. And then transition to the church. I'm instructed to the older women in our church, I'm going to treat you as my mama with love and respect. And to the younger ladies as my sisters with all purity, the Word of God says. And I know that that makes me a sexist, but I believe I'm supposed to be kinder, more gentle towards you, less abrasive, non-verbally abusive, more affirming and valuing you for who you are as a woman and encouraging you to strive to be the woman that God has called you to be. And I know that makes me a sexist today. And so as a sexist, what can I say to you that would not be deemed offensive by some? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because somebody's always going to take offense at something, especially biblical truth. But let me say this to the ladies in the sound of my voice. I believe it is your responsibility to search the scriptures and discover what God says to you, not just as a believer, but as a woman. Did y'all hear that? Because, you know what, you say, Pastor Brown, once again, you're putting a burden on ladies that men are, no, 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 I'm telling you, you come back on Father's Day. I'm going to be going to my son's graduation in, uh, in, in Rhode Island, and, and I'm cutting a trip short, a short, short trip to get back here because I'm not going to preach to the ladies on Mother's Day and not be back for Father's Day. Because, guys, let me tell you really quickly, we got to do the same thing. But, ladies, let me tell you, it's your responsibility because the New Testament teaching speaks directly to single women, wives, mothers, grandmothers, or aged women. And I say that very respectfully because you might be a grandma and not be that aged. Thank you. I was waiting for a well-placed amen. Goodness gracious. Scripture teaches you. Listen what the Bible tells you. It teaches concerning your role and your responsibility towards your husband if you're married, towards your family and your church family. I was privileged to be in, our, uh, in a wedding that Shane conducted yesterday, and I, and I was so appreciative. I've been in weddings that JoJo's conducted and Shane conducted, and I was just, I sat back there, and they challenged those they challenged the couple each time. And Shane yesterday was challenging the man, challenging the woman. I sat back there and I thought to myself, my work here is done. My work here is done. These guys have just excelled in these areas. And it's because they see and they read and they study the Word of God. Let me make this statement to you, ma'am. These doctrinal truths cannot be pressed upon you. I can't from this pulpit press this into you. What you've got to do is you've got to search it out. You've got to study the Word of God. You've got to, with your own heart and mind, long to receive truth from the Father and then to walk in it. And when you do, when you understand the distinctions that God's placed and your role and your responsibility, it's going to make you complete as a woman. Come on, somebody. You might even say with Shania one day, Man, I feel like a woman now. Let's come on now. Come on, people. Gosh, that's pretty good. If I added that to the notes, don't, <laughs> don't let the culture. Let me preach to you for a minute. I don't mind preaching to you. Jay, you might want to get that car we got now, get it started and get it warmed up and get it right there at that door and tell the security team today that door's got to stay unlocked. 
Don't let the culture dictate for you what a woman should do or should be. Let me just tell you that. The culture in becoming supposedly more affirming towards women and supposed equality is becoming hostile towards men, just to be honest, especially white men. So look around today. Most of the men that are in your life are white. And according to the culture, we're all sexist, racist, former plantation owners, bigots, and homophobes, according to the culture. But I want to say to you today, don't let the culture dictate for you how you are to treat the men in your life or be treated by the men in your life. Let the Word of God be your guide. Live as holy women, the Scripture says, whose daughters you are if you do well. Now let me say this to you today. Don't let the culture strip you of your femininity. Am I saying it correctly? Let me say that. The distorted militant feminist movement is nothing more than idolatry repackaged. That's all it is. Let me say it again. The clay cannot say to the potter, why hast thou made me such? So what we will do is instead, we will just remake God into our expectation and our liking with perverted and twisted doctrinal lies. And in the process, what we hope to do is recreate our own personal identities as well. I want to say this to you. God made you a female by nature. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God formed you. Before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. He called you. He defined you. And he set you apart for his purposes. Don't let a distorted culture filled with ideologies born of the pits of hell get into your mind and begin to dictate your person and your personality. Peter said in his epistle, he said, Whose daughters ye are, if you do well with all amazement. Don't be afraid when everybody's going downstream to swim upstream towards the perfect will of God. Be the woman that God's called you to be. And you know what you can do when you know that you're walking in the fullness of the blessing of God? This is where that equality comes in. God will anoint you just like any man. In the days gone by, only the priests who were all male were anointed. But that's the gift of the dispensation that we live in today. God said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters, come on somebody, have the anointing of God upon your life. And you can get up every day knowing God's anointed you. You've got an anointing upon your life. God made you that female by nature. You're distinct from men, and your femininity is a gift from God. Your ability to foster life in the womb, listen to this, to nurture life at your breast can never be replicated by a man, can never be replicated. Your compassion, your love, your gentleness is a gift from God. Your ability to hold, your ability to hug, and as a wife, and every wife under the sound of my voice understands what I'm about to say. Even occasionally, you have to play the role of mother to your husband who still has a little boy locked up inside of you and who will ask you to come outside and watch him sit on the lawnmower. Come on. Or watch you weed eat so you can say, honey, you are doing such a good job. Right? You will. And you just got to do it and put up with it. Redo. You don't have to be competitive with the men in your life. Let me just tell you that. Don't be competitive with the men in your life. You don't have to try to be their equal in certain areas or their superior. Expect them to treat you differently because of who you are. God has called you to be handled that way with respect, love, and honor. 
And we do that today as a fellowship. Recognize this, ladies. Can I, can I speak to the ladies today? Jerry, you're still in here. You better get that vehicle started soon. Shatakaya <laughs> Listen, ma'am, can I speak to you today? Recognize both your inward beauty and your outward beauty. And don't exploit your sexuality. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? Here's the reality. I'm going to just tell you. God's creation is beautiful. It is. And there are places that you can go and things. We live in a beautiful area, don't we? We do. I mean, people love the lake and the river. And, uh, and, and there are places you go to Colorado and, and the mountains and smoke a little wacky weed while you're out there, I guess, and, and stuff. So, no, don't do that. You know, so all that. So you can see all that right there. You see all the creation. Like, see, for me, I'm a plains man. I'm, I'm like Jacob. I dwell in the plains. And I like the rolling hills in Nebraska and Kansas and, uh, and, and all of that and everything. But let me tell you, that the most beautiful image of creation that can come to your mind dims in comparison to who is actually the most beautiful of all creation. And that's God's made a woman. And all the men ought to say amen. They are. They're the most beautiful of God's creation. And let me say this. And your inward beauty can surpass your outward beauty. It can. God said the inward beauty of a meek and a quiet spirit is in his sight of great price or value. Scripture speaks of the outward appearance both in a positive and a negative role. How many know there is so much pressure to have a certain look in our culture today? How many of you know that cosmetics and, uh, you know, everything related to it and attire and all that, that is a multi-multi-billions of dollar industry here in the United States alone. Now, I want to say this to you. Value who you are and definitely value how you look and take care of yourself. Come on for yourself. I'm not saying that you need to get up in the, in the morning and say, well, you know, I can't fix this or adjust this or, or whatever. I'm, I, do, what, do whatever that causes you to leave the house feeling good. But I want to say that's all good. But don't let the culture dictate for you what is outwardly appealing. Mm, let me, can I, I'm going right there. Protect your sexuality. Now, you can spin this any way you want to, but men are deeply attracted by the physical appearances of women. And I know that, and you know that as well. And here's what the culture says to you. If you've got it, flaunt it. If you've got it, expose it. If you've got it, prop it up for everybody to see and put it on full display. And if you don't have it to flaunt, if you've got enough money, they will manufacture it for you and put it on you so that you can then expose it for everybody to see. But the Word of God says to modestly cover it. I'll just, who oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Take care of the temple. I'll say this, expose it only to he whom thy soul loveth. Expose it there. Let me be very honest with somebody here that I felt this in my spirit. There might be somebody in the sound of my voice today. You're in a deep relationship with someone. And you're living life like a family, but you're not a family. You're raising kids together. You're sleeping together. But there's no covenant of marriage. Let me tell you real quickly. You're letting the culture exploit your sexuality. Without hesitation, the man in your life is sexually attracted to you. And even as a matter of fact, when you're not around, he's even thinking about being sexual with you when you're not present. He's thinking about it. We understand all of that. But he doesn't deserve all that you can give if he's not willing to sanctify the sexual union in the covenant of marriage. 
He doesn't deserve all that you can give him. Let him know. Let him know. Jill, I'm going to use a little bit of your stuff right here. Let him know. He can't have all this. Let him know until he puts a ring on the finger. Come on, somebody. Amen. I know it makes me a sexist, but I want you to value your sexuality to the degree that you preserve it for your husband and not for your boyfriend. And I'm not saying that to be ugly. I'm saying that I want you to be numbered with the ladies that Peter mentioned in his epistle. That were, he said, whose daughters you are if you do well. Holy women of old. That's who God said. I want you to be their daughters. I thank God today for every lady that's in my life. Whether you're certainly my personal kin. Whether I've got uh, uh, my niece here today. My sister and my my. My, my, uh, Nancy is here today. I've got to get all the labels together. And, and Sherry's here today. And then I've got all the younger, and you're my sisters. And then you're, to the older, you're my mamas. And I'm so grateful for what you bring to our family and our church family today. And I want to value you, and I want to honor you, and I want to charge every man under the sound of my voice. Don't let Mother's Day just be a one day out of the year where you recognize the gift that that woman is to your life. Thank God for her. Whatever she is to you, thank God for them, and pray for them. I would that men would pray everywhere. Who are you going to be praying? Praying for the ladies that are in your life. Thanking God for them. Thanking God for bringing them into your life. And I thank God that God let, raise up a generation of ladies who will be numbered with those that we read about where the Apostle Peter said, whose daughters ye are, holy women of old, if you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Don't let the culture dictate these things to you. Be studious of the Word of God. Get alone. Read. Meditate. See that sometimes gender can determine your destiny. Sometimes God said, I'm going to define you, uh, not just because of your locality or your education, but sometimes I'm going to choose you based upon your gender. And when you understand that, God said, I'll put an anointing with you that belongs with the call that I've made upon your life. Man, that's good preaching right there. And so today, let me tell you, I thank God for women of faith, don't you? I thank God for women of faith in our own lives and also in the Word of God. Women that were led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Women whose faith God has used to work wonders. Sarah, the Bible tells us about. The Bible tells us about Ruth and Abigail, Rahab and Jochebed. I can't say Jochebed without just getting something just a little inside my spirit. Can you imagine when Moses went to school and they said, who's your mama? He said, Jochebed. Come on now. Do you feel that? I feel that. Jochebed. Elizabeth, Mary, Dorcas, on and on. The narrative of Scripture gives us holy women of old who trusted in God. Women who, the Scripture says, some received the dead and their families raised to life again. But others were tortured, not accepting deliverance and hope of a better resurrection. Women of old that were numbered with, and the ladies under the sound of my voice, I believe that God wants to sew you into that fabric. Holy women of God. Let me tell you about a time in ancient Israel, if I can do. A time in ancient Israel when God promised deliverance to his people and gender determined destiny. Let me tell you about that today. It's in my spirit. The Lord led me to this passage of scripture, and I want to take you there today, and I want to share that with you. It's in the days of the judges. 
Does anybody remember the days of the judges? This is when the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've taken possession of the promised land, or at least to a degree. Joshua has passed. Moses has passed. It's called the generation of judges because the leader in Israel would be someone that God would raise up for a periodic season of life who would judge the men and women in the complaints and the situations of life. They would come to this person for counsel. They would come to this person for wisdom. Often these were men of God that had a distinct anointing that separated them from the common person. God called Gideon when he was thrashing weed in a, in a vat. Uh, a wine vat. The Bible says that he called him a mighty man of valor. We have the scriptural narrative of Samson judging Israel because of a Nazarite vow and the strength of his body. But the Bible also excludes a woman as a judge in ancient Israel. A time when Deborah, the prophetess, was the noted judge. And the Bible says that she lived underneath the palm tree of Deborah. And during those days, people would come to her, and she would speak judgment about the issues of life. She would speak to them personally. She would speak prophetically. She's known in the Word of God as Deborah, uh, the prophetess. But let me tell you what was also going on during that time. It was also a time of, of deep struggle with the Canaanites. The Canaanites had been left in the land as a result of the possession of the promised land. And they didn't drive everybody out according to the word of God. And the Canaanites during those days were led by Jabin, who was the king of Canaan. And he terrorized. The Bible actually said, listen to what it says. For 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And I want you to think about that, ma'am, today. What's been in your life? What's plagued you? What's plagued your family? If you were to be honest with me today, and if we were to sit across a counseling desk, and you were to look me in the eye, what thing have you struggled with? What's been in your family? What's been in your children? What's been the thing that you look at and say, man, why am I still dealing with this 20 years later? That's what Jabin and the Canaanites were to the children of Israel. They were oppressive. And the Bible says that they had 900 chariots of iron. Now think about this. Israel had not been in the land that long. They had not been in possession of the land very long. So they had not established some of the uh, instruments of warfare from the cultures that had been there for generations. And so all of Israel's soldiers were foot soldiers. But all of the Canaanites, they had 900 chariots, the Bible says, of iron. You know what a chariot of iron is akin to? It's like a tank. It's like us sending out the foot soldiers in the army against an opposing army and everybody's riding in a tank. And so for 20 years, they mightily oppressed the people, stealing from their goods, stealing their harvest. Many times when you read the narrative in the Word of God, the enemy would always wait until the, the agricultural fields were, were ripe and ready to harvest. And then at that time, you could hear the sound of chariot wheels begin to make their way to your field where the enemy would come in and ravish, mightily oppressing the people of Israel. But God gives a prophetic word. A prophetic word through Deborah the prophetess. Are y'all with me out there today? A prophetic word. And so Deborah calls for Barak. And she instructs him through the prophetic word to raise up an army. 
She said, I want you to gather an army because God's going to lead Jamin's army, Jabin's army, who is led by Sisera. The Bible uh, gives us the name of the captain of Jabin's army. And so he's actually the one that's been more responsible for oppressing the people over the latter 20 years, even than Jabin. And she said to Barak, I want you to raise an army of 10,000 foot soldiers, and I want you to go close to the river Kishon. And there, and I could see Deborah under the palm tree, under the anointing of God. And maybe she's like the preacher, and she's starting to move just a little bit. God's bubbling a word out of her. And she said, I want you to raise an army because God said, I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hand. Glory to God. Don't you thank God for a prophetic word, a word that God speaks to you that gives you encouragement? And when Barak heard the word, Barak said this. He was almost like Joshua in years gone by, wanting Moses to accompany them. And so Barak said, I'm going to go, but Deborah, you got to go with me. Uh, you can't stay under the palm tree. You got to get with me and you got to go so we can stand over the army in case you got to prophesy to the army. But here's what, when uh, Deborah heard that word, listen what she said. This is a text, if you're able to put it on the screen, chapter 4, verse number 9. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding, though, the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord's going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. In verse number 9, look at that. Into the hand of a woman. And when I read that in my preparation, I said this within myself. Gender can determine your destiny. And so let me tell you today, ma'am, God's got a prophetic word for you. He's got a call of God upon your life. He's got an anointing in your life. If you're called of God, you're going to be equipped by God. You're going to be able to do the things that He's called you to do. And there are going to be times when honor's going to come your way because God said, I've chosen to use you to be a blessing to my people that's a good word and so the Bible tells us listen with 10,000 men Barak accompanied by Deborah goes beside the river Kishon and he leads Israel into battle against the host of the Canaanites against Sisera who are accompanied by Jabin's 900 chariots and let me tell you God who cannot lie Fulfill this word spoken by the prophetess. And listen what the word of God says. The Lord discomfited Sisera. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how a host of men on foot overwhelmed 900 chariots of iron led by horses and stallions and with armed soldiers fighting from the top of those chariots. I don't know. All I know is this. If God be for you. Oh, that's all I know today. It's overwhelming odds. They've got far superior warfare instruments. But if God be for you today, then it matters not who is against you. And the Bible says God discomfited Sisera and all the chariots. But then the Bible says that every man was slain of the Canaanite army except for one the captain or the host, and that was Sisera. And the Bible plainly says that he came off of his chariot. He got down on foot, and he outran, he outran the pursuing Israelites. And here's where the narrative begins to take a distinct turn that we've got to take note of. And so as he's going, he's searching for a place to hide. And the Bible says that he came to the tent of Heber, the Kenite. He came to the house or the tent of Heber, who is a Kenite, and he's looking for refuge. 
But this is where things start to turn in the passage. Because, first of all, let me tell you first what it means to be Heber the Kenite. Can I, care, can I clarify that for you for just a moment? Because it helps you understand. Man, I feel this already today. Some of you are going, man, where's the preacher going? Y'all stay with me for just a moment. God's got something for you here today. I thank God for the preaching of the Word of God. It's a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You need a word, you're going to get a word today. You need something in your spirit that's going to cause you to say, God, with you with me and for me, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Whether I'm male or female, I got an anointing upon my life. I can be, sometimes my gender is going to determine my destiny. And the Bible says the Heber, the Kenai, had severed himself from his family's lineage. Well, the Kenites, who were they? They were descendants of the Midianites. Does anybody remember the Midianites? The Midianites were the people that Moses took refuge with when he fled from Pharaoh for 40 years and chose his wife. And the Bible tells us that to a degree, they were in covenant with Israel. And for some reason, Heber had broken from the Kenites. And so Scripture says that there is now peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So he fled, Caesarea, or Caesarea fled to Heber's tent because it's possible that Heber was allied to the Canaanites. And he thought that he could find refuge in the tent of Heber. And as he flees there, he's hoping that Heber's going to come out and meet him. But this is where the story takes a different narrative. It's the wife of Heber that comes out the tent. Her name is Jael. And Jael said, Sisera, come on in here. Come on into the tent. And as he does so, once inside, let me tell you what the Bible tells. Can I preach this today like I see it in my mind? I'm just saying, God, help me to preach it today. Because there may be a woman under the sound of my voice that you've been fighting an enemy for 20 years. And you needed a word from God today to tell you victory is within arm's reach today. Victory is for you and your family. And God's going to bring honor to your house and to household because of the warfare and the way that you handle yourself as a woman of God. Whose daughters you are if you do well, the apostle Peter says. And so once inside the tent, perhaps just hours or minutes even from the approaching Israelite army, Sisera goes to the rear of the tent, and the Bible says that, 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 that Jael takes, and when he lays down, she covers him with a mantle. And when I thought about that, I thought, my God, she's doing something here. There's a, see, the mantle, anytime, you know, is the Word of God alive today, isn't it? The Word of God is alive. And when she brought him in the house, let me tell you what she was. She was a woman under authority. The Bible says the tent was Heber, her husband. And so she was a woman under authority. But not only was she under authority, but she was also still in authority. Just like the Word of God says. And when she put Sisera and she let him lay down at the rear of the tent, when she put her mantle over him, what she was doing is she was covering her, she was covering her enemy with that anointing. And she was saying, you know what? She knew what she was actually doing. The steps of Jael was this. She was aligning herself with the people of God. She was saying, I'm not a Canaanite. I'm not going to live like a Canaanite. I might not even be a Kenite. I'm going to align myself with the Israelite and the anointing of God that's upon the people of ancient Israel. And she took her blanket and she covered him. 
and she went back to the front of the tent. And Sisera calls to her. And Sisera says, hey, J.L., would you bring me some water because I'm famished from my journey. And then the Bible tells us something else that she did, that she brought to him milk instead of water. Now, there are two different ways that I can preach this. I can preach it one way and say the world wants a watered-down response from the church. But J.L. said, I'm going to bring you a strong response because the milk that she brought was not cow's milk that you buy at town and country, or uh, that tells my age, or, or uh, where's the other place at? It harps. Right there. It's not that. It was goat's milk, soured goat's milk. So it was a strong response. But J.L. knew that if, she drank, if he drank the milk, it would help ease him into a deep sleep because she was plotting her warfare against her enemy. And she waited until he fell into sleep. And some of you can say, Pastor, this is where this text and this narrative gets brutal. But you know what? Don't you judge J.L. until you understand the context of what she dwelt in. For 20 years, those Canaanites have been coming and oppressing the people of Israel. Those Canaanites have been taking their children, stealing their crops, slaughtering and murdering the people of God. And Jael said, enough is enough. And she looked up one day, and the enemy was asleep in her tent. And she said, now's my time. And the Bible says that she went and she got her a hammer. And she went to her tent and she pulled a peg up that was holding the tent by its rope. And the Bible says that she crept quietly in. You say, Pastor, what does that matter? Can I come down just a little bit to the lady? Say, Remember God said he's looking for women of a meek and quiet spirit. Sometimes, lady, to win your, war your warfare over your enemy and your adversary, you don't have to be loud and clamorous and boisterous. Sometimes your greatest victories are won in the quiet times of prayer and devotion where you seek and search after the heart of God. And she didn't have a sword and she didn't have a shield. She didn't have a spear, but she had a hammer in her hand. And she come up to her enemy and with the, uh, I know it's brutal, I know, but uh, you can't go there. You just got to see what she did. She was putting to death 20 years of oppression, 20 years of pain, 20 years of addiction, 20 years of abuse, 20 years of the things that she had struggled with in her life, 20 years, and it was coming to a close that day. And what does that hammer in her hand represent? That hammer represents the Word of God. Jeremiah the prophet said that his word is like a hammer. And so, lady, let me tell you, there's some things in your life, in your tent, that doesn't belong there. It's your enemy. It's oppressed you and your family for 20 years. But God's got a good word for you. Get the word in your heart. Get it sharp. Begin to speak it. Begin to declare it. Prophesy it in your own home and drive the nail. In, come on, somebody, in the head of your enemy and let God win a great victory over for you and your family and your house and your household. And God will allow at times your gender to determine your destiny. Glory to God. Now you say, Pastor Brown, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute, very quickly. Is there really, can I really align myself to that? God's Word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. When you understand whose daughters you are, if you do well, 
when you begin to function in your tent, in your house, in your home, under the anointing of God upon your life, and say, God has anointed me, and I'm going to exercise authority and dominion in my own home. As I'm under authority, I'm still in authority. And I'm not going to allow the addictions, the sorrows, the travail of 20 years to dictate my future and my family's future. But God's put a word in my spirit and a word in my mouth, and I'm going to declare it. I'm going to tell the devil he can't have my children. Come on, somebody. I'm going to tell the devil he can't have my grandchildren in Jesus' name. I'm not going to stand up and shout at my husband when he's not doing the things that I expect him to do or God expects. I'm going to still live with a meek and quiet spirit because I'm going to do my best work in quietness with the anointing of God upon my life. I'm going to be the woman that God's called me to be. The world says I'm foolish. The world says that you're just old-fashioned. But you say, no, I'm a holy woman of God, anointed of God, with the presence of God upon my life, doing the things that God has called me to do. And let me tell you, ma'am, there are times you look at yourself in the mirror and know this with a surety. There are times when gender will still determine your destiny. And God's got an anointing and God's got a blessing for your life. Did you know, man, that's good preaching right there. J.L.'s life is immortalized in the Word of God, not only by the account, but listen to this, by the song of Deborah, sung in victory praise. Can I read that to you in closing today as Aaron joins me on the platform today? Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Shatakiah Mosiah, that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel. When the people willingly offered themselves, Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Come on, somebody. Somebody ought to praise the Lord right now. And just say, God, I just want to thank you today. He said, blessed, verse number 24, above women shall Jael. You can look on her and judge her for her action done while the enemy of God's people slept. But the prophetess Deborah said, blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber the cannot be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter and a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken him through his temples. At her feet he bowed, he fell, and he lay down dead. At her feet he bowed, he fell, and where he bowed, there he fell down dead. Now, church family, I know. I know that's a brutal image that you got in your mind of a sleeping Canaanite captain of the army. But I'm telling you, God is God. And he said... It's time for me to put to death 20 years of oppression. And Barak, I'm going to send you out in front of the army, but the honor's not going to you. The honor's going to go to a woman dwelling in the tent who aligns herself with my people and my purposes. And I'm going to give her honor for doing what I asked her to do, putting to death 20 years of pain, struggle, sorrow, you know what? I think about what goes on in our culture today. We talk about it, especially JoJo and myself. 
in our private times together. There's so much mess. It's hard to fathom how people live. It is. But let me tell you today, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to. There's some things in your life you can put to death. I'm not talking about people. Don't y'all get wacky on me. Let me put a disclaimer out there on this message. Don't you be slipping into your husband's room with a hammer in your hand, except for the Word of God. Hello, somebody. Right? But see, it's a natural example to teach a spiritual principle in it, Dr. Bradsdale. You've got to have a word in your mouth. The enemy, oppression, the things that you've dealt with. Ma'am, I don't know. I might be preaching to ladies that have been oppressed sexually by men, abused, some perhaps even raped. There's a pain in your life. But let me tell you, don't let that dictate who you are. God is greater. God is greater. All the pain of that past, put it to death by the Word of God and who He's called you to be, who He's created you to be, and His love for you and His willingness to heal every hurt in your life. I'm telling you, lady, I'm telling you, there's an anointing on your life. If God could use JL, God can use you to do a powerful thing in your family. I'd like to have her heads bowed her eyes closed today for just a moment. I'd like to see today by faith the ladies that would just be honest under the sound of my voice. And I'll be very discreet. I won't be trying to embarrass you in any capacity because we're going to bring the whole, all the ladies forward in just a moment. But this is a moment. This is your moment to say, Pastor, this message was for me. There's some things sleeping in my tent that don't need to be there. There's some things in my house, in my household, my life, things I'm dealing with that I know are not of God. And I need the strength and the grace of God to be able to put those things to death. It's time for me to move on. It's time for me to overcome. It's time for me to win the victory. It's time for others to be able to look at my life as a testimony and not as a tragedy. Did you hear that? Let me say that one more time. There's somebody under the sound of my voice today that whenever your name is mentioned, it's always associated with the tragedy that you went through, the trauma that you went through, the pain that you suffered. And God says to you today, it's time for you to put that to death and move beyond it and for people to see your life as triumphant. You overcame the trauma. You overcame the trial. You overcame the tragedy because there was an anointing upon your life. You were called of God like J.L. was for such a time as this to win a victory for your house, your household, for your family, for you personally. If that's you today, slip your hand up. Let me just make contact. Some ladies are raising their hand. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, today. Thank you. That's honesty. Thank you. All across this congregation, all across this congregation, now, I want to ask our church family to do something. I want to ask every lady, first of all, to remain seated, and I want every man to stand up. Let's do something right now. now in a moment, we're going to call these ladies forward, and we're going to honor them. We're going to hug on them and love on them and slobber on them today. In Jesus' name. That's just what we do. We mark you. I want every man, if you would, to just begin to pray for the ladies that are seated around you, beside you, you want to put a hand, if it's your loved one on their shoulder or something, or if it's someone, you do it discreetly, reverently. If not, that you don't have to touch anybody, that's okay. But let's pray for these ladies right now. 
Father, we want to thank you for these precious gifts of God. We want to thank you for the younger and the older. We want to thank you, Father, for the married and the single. We want to thank you, Father, today for those that have life, that carried life in their womb, and those that did not. We want to thank you for those that have raised a, a children that were their own offspring. We want, to cha- we want to thank you for those that have raised those who were not their offspring, and they still raise them. We want to thank you, Father, today for those who have the maternal instinct, and they're helping raise other people's children in the church. They're just the church mamas, and they're loving on, and they're hugging on these kids that are coming to our church. They're teaching them in Sunday school. They're working with them in children's church. They're helping Joe in, in youth, and they're just being a mama today to them. God, we thank you for the women of our fellowship. Every lady is special to you. And God, I preach with all the passion that you put in my heart to them today. And I've told them with a clear conviction that, Father, there are times when gender determines their destiny. That there are times that you define their roles and their responsibilities. And I pray that they will search these things out for themselves. I recognize today, and we as men, husbands, wives, or excuse me, husbands and fathers, and, and just men in the church, we can't press this in or press this upon our ladies. But we can encourage them to study and read the Word of God until it gets down inside of them. Whose daughters ye are, he said, if you do well and you're not afraid to be numbered with the women of God. Holy women of God. Now I want to pray, men, please pray this last prayer with me right now. The things in the life of these beautiful ladies that they may have struggled with or being are struggling even now. There may be addictions. There may be some, some emotional hurt from things that happened years and years and years ago. But God of heaven, in Jesus' name, let them take the courage and have the courage to overcome as Jesus overcame. You said of J.L., the victory would be won and the honor would go to a woman. Let the women of our fellowship rise up and bring life to their home and their tent by putting to death the enemy's activity and its strongholds that have been present for some for many years. Give them the courage. That's our prayer. Come on, men. Isn't that our prayer today? In the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Now let's pray.